who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Amen. Well, today we are going to start talking about something that, honestly, in some ways, to many people, doesn't sound very exciting. But honestly, in another, from another angle, um, I need us to understand today that our lack, of under, our lack of excitement, that is, is from a lack of understanding. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about God's plan for the church. And here's my theme. Here's what I want us to understand. When we go to Scripture, when we read God's Word, when we get to know the person of Christ, something that becomes very, very obvious is this, that the church means a lot more than what we think. It truly does. It means more than what we think. The church is not just an idea, it's not just a club, it's not a concept, it's not a, it's not a gang of your friends. That's not what the church is. The church means more than we think. And I want us to get that. Because here's the, here's the reality. We live in a world where things are breaking down all the time. Am I right? Things are breaking down. Things aren't going the way we hope. Things are passing away. Whether it be your house, your car, your body, your plants, everything that you see is slowly, slowly with time passing away. Now that can sound a little discouraging, right? I mean, listen listen to the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Listen to what Solomon says. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity means meaningless. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth just remains forever. So this thing is keeping going on, on, and on, and everything else just kind of passes away. Solomon writes, the sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place 
where it rises. Is there anything that will endure? Solomon's asking that question, really. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, is there anything that's going to last? You know, right now it's beautiful outside. And I've lived at our house that we are at now for over 15 years. And let me tell you a couple things about myself. Um, One of the things is this. I like pretty flowers, okay? And I'm really, really cheap. And those two things make a bad combination, you know? And I got them both from my, own, from my father before me, okay, who likes pretty flowers and is also pretty cheap. And so what happens is, you know, Nancy and I will be out there in the yard and we'll say, you know, why don't we do this and why don't we do this? And we'll kind of scheme some plan and, and I'll talk to a friend of mine, you know, we're thinking about doing this and he'll be like, you know, if you rented such and such a machine for a hundred bucks, you could knock that out in the afternoon. And I'll think, nah, I can save $100 if I just dig this giant hole on my own, right? Are you one of those people? That's me. And so over the last 15 years, I mean, we have worked so hard in our yard. I mean, over and over, we're planting this thing, you know, we come out, we're like, oh, that's not going to work. So I'm out there, you know, slaving away, digging with the digging iron and the shovel and moving all these things. And I mean, it's just, it's just over and over and over in my life. Do you do this kind of stuff? But I tell you, right now, right now, it's, a, it's really like a special moment at my house. Because if you pull down my driveway and stop where we park our cars, like for these couple of days and weeks, it is beautiful. To the right is one of those cherry, like weeping cherry trees, and it's still got some white flowers on it. You just passed a flowering pear, okay, that I planted, and I dug the hole and put that thing in the ground. The same with the cherry tree. And you look a little bit further, there's an azalea, and there's like rhododendron, and all these beautiful flowers. They're all right there, and it is beautiful. I mean, it truly is. I'm like, wow. I mean, now it's no, I've seen better, okay, but, but it's nice. It's nice. But you know what the truth is? I also got some of these. Now, I brought this as an illustration of what's going to happen. Okay? You see this thing? Now, I planted this guy last year. All right? And yesterday, I got out of my car, and I'm like, that stupid plant went and died on me. I mean, I dug that hole, and I put the soil in the ground, and I watered it, and I did all this. And look what it did. If you can't tell, it's dead. I mean, look, it's got, you know, it's right out of the ground, okay? And so I walked over to this thing and just plucked it out, pulled it out of the ground, and thought, you know, there's some of that miracle grow I put in there, okay? And what did it amount to? You see, here's the truth. Things are passing away. When I was a kid, I worked for my grandmother all summer. I'd mow her grass. I'd I'd take care of her plants. I'd work her garden. She hired me. It was pretty neat, you know. I really enjoyed it. And recently, we rode back to Kaiser. And I went by her house, which at one time was the talk of the area. My grandfather was, was an amazing man who could do lots of things. And one of those things he could do was garden with the best of them, had a green thumb. And I'm told people rode out Limestone Road just to see his yard. And you should see it now. looks horrible. Everything is grown up. I mean, it's just, it all looks like that. It's all dead. See, things of this earth pass away. Things of this earth will not last. But there is one created thing 
There is one thing that we can turn to in Scripture that's going to last. That will never perish. And Jesus said, the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. That is quite a statement. I want us to understand that to church, it means more than what we think. It means more than what we think. It's not a building. It's not a club. It's not something that we just come to. That is not the church. The church is a wonderful expression of who Christ is. And He invites us to join in this thing that means much more than what you could ever imagine or think. And I want to show you the word that you would find in your Bible. Is it up on the screen? No, it's in your worship notes, actually. Yeah, I think I'll put it there. Ecclesia. Is it there at the top of your worship notes? I believe it is. Now, that is the Greek word that we translate to church. But you need to understand that in Jesus' day, when he used the word ecclesia in Matthew chapter 18, and then when it was used 114 times in your New Testament... 114 times that word is used in your New Testament. 106 verses. So it is all through your New Testament. We need to understand what it means so that we can get the idea of what this church is. Now in reality, what the church, if we go back to Jesus' day and use that word ecclesia, nobody in their right mind would think that you were talking about a religious gathering. That's not what it meant. In reality, all the word ecclesia meant was an assembly. It meant bring a bunch of people together. That's all it meant. And so you see in the the book of Acts, there's this great big sort of like turmoil going on and the the city officials call together this gathering of people. What are we going to do about this Paul who's preaching the gospel? And guess what they do? They call an ecclesia. And there in the middle of the town, they have this giant gathering of people. And they gather together and decide, what are we going to do about this Paul who's preaching a message we don't like? So they called an ecclesia. Well, we are, in that respect, just a group of people gathering together. So what makes this thing anything more special than a local club meeting or a concert or or a school What makes this anything different? Let me give you my definition of what the church is, okay? The church is, the ecclesia, as you read through the New Testament, it's this. It's a special gathering of God's people for God's purpose. It's a special gathering. We have to come together. We come together, a special gathering of God's people for God's purpose. So it's not a building. It's, it's not a, you know, we use that in our language today. We'll say, well, I'm going to go to the church. And we, we point at a, you know, red brick building on the hill. And that's the church. But in reality, that's a misunderstanding of what the term means. That's one of the things I love about Centerpoint Bible Church. No matter what God has in store for us in the future, I hope you can still continue to pray for the land that we are moving towards. Things are still going. It takes a long time to buy land, I'm learning, okay? And we are moving in that process. I hope you're still praying in that direction. But no matter what the future holds from us, for us, that is, we have a seven-year time, at the very least, where we saw firsthand that the church is not a building 
The church does not need a building. The church is a gathering together of God's people, God's special people, a special gathering for the Lord's purpose. Now, I think we have a lot of wrong ideas about church. If you think about it. I think a lot of us have some wrong ideas. And I, I just sat down this week and, and just thought through some things that, that I think some of us kind of, things that I've heard people say that show a, a misunderstanding of what the ecclesia, what the church is. The first kind of source of bad information that I want to warn you against today is honestly past experience of church. You don't know how many times I've had somebody say to me, well, you know, I used to go to church. Now, we already have a problem, okay? Because church is not a building, right? But they'll say, I'll, you know, I don't jump in at that point. But they say, I used to go to church, but then so-and-so did something to me. Have you ever heard that? I think one of, the, one of the reasons why people withdraw from God's special gathering of his people for his purpose is because of what other people have done to them. Well, let me just tell you the honest truth. You know, I bet you, in the last 15 years, and I'm not looking for any kind of pity, but I bet you I've had more stuff done to me by people in my church than what the rest of you have. You want to think about that for a minute? You know how many times I've had people say things to me from within the church that hurt, that harm, that discourage and if I said to you today, you know what, I've decided I'm not going to do with the church because I've been hurt too many times by people in the church, what would you say to me? You'd say, well, Pastor Lowe, I can't believe you're doing that, wouldn't you? But are we any different? No. That's a poor excuse. That's a poor excuse. Be careful you don't let past experiences mold what you think the church is supposed to be. Whether that's good experiences or bad experiences, be careful of that. I think a lot of us take our idea of what church is from the culture and the media. Man, if you watch TV, church is a bunch of... If you just watch television church, I'm disgusted by that. I can't hardly stand seeing what is de- what's depicted on television, not only live, but even in sort of the, the, the entertainment shows that we watch. Church and pastors and, and all that, it's disgusting. Don't draw your understanding from that. You know, some of us have wrong ideas about the church and where we're going to go today. And I want you to know, it's going to be in an overwhelming fashion. What I mean by that is, I want you to be overwhelmed today with all that the Bible has to say about the church. So if at the end of our time together, if you say, wow, Lowell, you went through a lot of Scripture You know what I'll say? Yeah, high five. That was my goal. That was my goal. I want to overwhelm you today with what the New Testament has to say about the church. Because I want you to leave here knowing, even if you don't know everything that the Bible has to say about the church, even if you need to grow in your understanding of what the church is, you at least will know that it means more than you think. That's where we're headed that it means more than you think. Okay, go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, I I think I put some of the main passages up on the screen, okay? The first thing I want you to see in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, is that this thing, this special gathering of God's people, 
is being built by Jesus Christ Himself. That makes it pretty significant. That's pretty significant. Christ is building His church. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Jump in with me, okay, at verse number 15. Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? Speaking to His followers there, the apostles. And Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. It's more than you think, he's saying. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, there's a word play there. Peter means rock, okay? You are Peter, and on this rock, Peter, what you said... I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is being built, has been built, and is being built by Jesus Christ Himself. Find me another organization you can say that about. Find me another institution you can say that about. There is none. There is none. Jesus Christ is building the church. He is the builder of the church. We will grow to understand more about what that means, but I want you to see that Jesus is excited about what He's going to do. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, I see Jesus like, you know, getting excited about what God's going to do in the earth, on the earth. Now you might think, let me just, let me go ahead and put words to the thought that's in your head. You might think, Well, of course you feel that way. You are a pastor. We pay you to feel that way. Right? Tell me those thoughts don't come in some of your heads. Let me just deal with that right now, okay? You need to know. I don't believe in the church because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because I believe in the church. There was a day when I wasn't a pastor. You know that? I wasn't born a pastor. I wasn't born a clerical collar and Bible under my hand. That's not how I was born. I was reborn, just like hopefully some of you, most of you, all of you, that'd be great. And then grew to understand what God was doing, what Jesus was building, what Jesus was building. And I remember the moment when I was standing at Hedgesville High School, It's kind of a funny story. It was a very impactful day. Several things happened that day. I'm standing in front of Hedgesville High School, and I turned around and looked at my students. Wow, wish I had a picture of that. It was an Algebra 1 class, fourth period. Rough group. And they're all just kind of like, you know, looking at me, all right? If you're a teacher, I respect you. I admire you. You keep going. You keep going. But in that moment, I turned around, because God had been working in my heart in a special way. And I knew at that moment, this, me, here, is very, very temporary. I knew. So standing in room number 53 at Hedgesville High School, God called me to the church. And it wasn't long after that, that the Lord did amazing work and I found myself in the role that I'm in. So, 
It wasn't that I was in that role, so i got to believe in it. It was Christ is building it, and He is the foundation. Find something else that Jesus is building. You will not find it. It is the church. Okay, moving along. Now go to Ephesians chapter 1. I can't spend that much time on all ten of these passages. Because we'll be here till like 1. So we don't want to do that. But Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to see this truth here. Not only did Christ build it, and is building it, and has built it, He is building His church. I want you to see from Ephesians 1 that this was His plan all along. Jesus did not wake up from the resurrection and say, man, i got to do something, let's build a church. This was His plan from eternity past. Verses 5 and 6, I read them to you earlier, but let me just read them again. Verse 5, He predestined us for adoption as sons. Notice the plural form there. That's why I wanted to use this this verse. This Ephesians 1 passage is not only speaking to you. We read Ephesians 1, and we like to think that God is talking just to me. It's like God has called me aside and is whispering sweet nothings into my ear, right? That's not what's happening here. The Lord, through the Spirit of God, is speaking now to all of us, His church. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Go go back on the verse number 4. He did this before the foundation of the world. Guys, in, in God's eternal nature, He saw in eternity past, before the foundation of the world, He saw that He would fashion and build the church. And what that looks like is you and I being adopted into His family. Let me read for you a theological definition of what adoption is. Now, we've all seen it, and we all admire it, and we all love it. Some of us have experienced it. Let me read for you what it is. Adoption is to formally and legally declare that someone who is not one's own child is henceforth to be treated and cared for as one's own child, including complete rights of inheritance as a child of the aforementioned parent. That's adoption. That is what has happened to us. Let that sink. Marinate in the truth that when Jesus spoke of people before they were in the church, before they were part of the ecclesia, before they were in Christ, Jesus said, you, speaking to those people, are sons of the devil. Before we are in Christ, we are not children of God. When we come to Christ, we are then made children of God. And part of Ephesians, check out this word. It says there at the end of verse number 6, blessed us in the beloved. I like that. Think about that for a minute. Now this means, what this means is, God has placed us in the agape 
is what it means. Do you ever know what the word agape, right? It's the word for love. It's God's kind of love. It's the, it's the love that seeks the best for the one loved. There are many words that the Greeks use for love. But this one was a special word. And it meant that I cared for you in a way, if I agape'd you, it meant I cared for you in a way that I was seeking your best, that I was sacrificing for your best. And here's what this says, that when you are part of the ecclesia, when you are part of the church, you are now part of God's agape'd. You are part of the beloved. Please, I want you to understand that, that what, what all this means. You see, there's a kind of love. Listen to this. There is a kind of love that exists because something is special. Right? You might love your car because it is special. You know, when you look out your front window and there it sits in your driveway or in your garage, you think, man, I love that car because it's special. It's a treasure. It's wonderful. Now, there's that kind of love, right? And we all know, understand that kind of love. But there's another kind of love. There's another kind of love. There's another kind of love where I love something because I am making it special. I love something because I am making it wonderful. I love something because I am making it a treasure. This morning, I'm writing writing to my office, okay? I almost said the church. I'm writing to my office, and I hear this, this expressed on the radio, and I thought, Lord, that's the beloved. That's the beloved. God doesn't love us because he's because we're special. We're not part of the beloved because we're wonderful. We're part of the beloved because He makes us wonderful. He makes us special. He makes us His treasure. And you are part of that beloved. That was God's plan. From the past. From the past. Okay, go to Acts chapter 20, verse 28. What did this cost Jesus? Acts chapter 20, verse 28. This is what Jesus says about His church. The Spirit of God is communicating here through Luke, in reality, sharing with us what what Paul understood about the church of Christ. Acts chapter 20, great passage of Scripture here where where Paul is speaking to leaders of the church of that day. And look what he says. Verse number 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves, speaking to pastors and elders, and to all the flock, In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That is a leader. Okay? He's made you a leader of this body. To care for the church of God. Here's what the leader is supposed to do. Any leader, any spiritual leader is supposed to care for those that are under the care. To care for the church of God. Which He obtained with His own blood. Christ is building it. Christ planned it. And we need to understand, this thing that means more than what we might think was purchased with the blood of Christ. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Okay, go, go quickly and then you're going to stop. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and go to my next one here. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's going to do something for the Lord, going to share something with us that's significant, that is going to help us to see that it means more than what we think. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 27. It says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Here's the truth. Jesus Christ identifies himself with the church. With the body of believers. Now we know that for us, this looks pretty easy. I mean, quite honestly, you know, have you been persecuted for righteousness sake? Have you ever experienced that? Have you sort of had the walk a walk where because you were a part of the church, you experienced persecution? Now, Jesus says this in John chapter 15. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Now, Jesus has identified himself with the church with the body of believers. And for most of us, for most of us in America and where we live, that's pretty easy. You know, we live a life of, honestly, prosperity and ease. You came here this morning and that that was no problem for you, right? Nobody's opposing you come here. But you need to realize that on this very day across the planet, because of an identification with Christ... There are thousands of people who are giving their life simply because of an identification with Christ. Did you know that some estimates say that as many as 170,000 Christians have lost their lives in the country of Syria and the surrounding Middle Eastern countries in the last year? Christians. Some estimates as high as 170,000 Why? Because they are identified with Jesus Christ. And he's been identified with them. But I want to highlight our attention on one man today. And I want you to hear his words that he writes from a prison cell. His name is Pastor Saeed. Have you heard of this gentleman? He's born in Iran. He immigrated to the United States in 2005 became a citizen in 2010, and he pastored a church here in America. In 2012, because he kept good connections with his family back in Iran, in 2012, he traveled to Iran. And what he was doing is, he was organizing the construction of an orphanage. And there they are working, and a group of Iranian authorities bust into the room. They arrest a whole group of them, And all of the attention then went to this native Iranian man who converted to Christ, pastors a church, and is there serving Christ in Iran. He's been in jail since September of 2012. And according to the American Center for Law and Justice, has endured beatings, has received death threats, and there are ISIS militants there that are imprisoned with him who are threatening his life even today. Now what I have here, this is hard for me to read. 
Because what I have is a letter he wrote. You can find it. It's on Franklin Graham's Graham's website. The letter he wrote to his daughter, his eight-year-old daughter, Rebecca Grace, on her eighth birthday. Listen. My dearest Rebecca Grace, happy eighth birthday. This daddy writes from a prison cell who's there because he's identified as a member of the body of Christ. You are growing so fast. He hasn't seen her for over a year. Actually, two and a half years at this point. You are growing so fast and becoming more beautiful every day. I praise God for his faithfulness to me every day as I watch from a distance through the prison walls and see pictures and hear stories of how you are growing, both spiritually and physically. Oh, how I long to see you. I know that you question why you have prayed so many times for my return. And yet, I'm not home yet. Now, there is a big why in your mind. You are asking, why, Jesus? Why, isn't, why Jesus, aren't you answering my prayers? And the prayers of all the people around the world praying for my release and for me to be home with you and our family. You're asking Jesus, why? He writes, the answer to the why is who. Who is in control? The Lord Jesus Christ is in control. I desire for you to learn an important lesson. Lessons that you carry now and you will carry for the rest of your life. The answer to the why is who. The confusion of why has all this happened and why are your prayers not being answered is resolved with the understanding of who. Who is in control? The Lord Jesus Christ, our God, is the who and He is the answer. God is in control of the whole world and everything that's happening is for His good purpose, His glory, and will be worked out for our good. Jesus allows me to be kept here for His glory. He is doing something from inside each of us and outside in the world. People die and suffer for their Christian faith all over the world and some may wonder why, but you, you should know the answer. The answer of why is who? It is for Jesus. He is worthy of the price and He has a plan to be glorified through our lives. What a great truth. What a great truth. And He signs it. He, he goes on, says more. He says, I am so proud of you. Let Daddy hear you sing a loud hallelujah that I can hear all the way here in the prison. I am proud of you, my sweet, courageous daughter. Glory to God forever. Amen. Kisses and blessings, Daddy. September 10th, 2014. Folks, we are identified. Jesus has identified. This is the fullness of the body of Christ. And it means more than what we think. People around the planet are dying for it. And to us, it doesn't mean a whole lot. To us, something I can have or I can take, it doesn't really matter. 
And Jesus said, don't be surprised when they persecute you. Don't be surprised. The student does not receive something the master didn't receive. He identifies with us. Jesus built it. Jesus planned it. Jesus bought it. Jesus identifies with it. The church means more than what we think. Now we'll go to Ephesians and stay there. If your fingers are getting tired, we'll stay there, okay? Go to Ephesians chapter 1. The book of Ephesians is just smacked full of the church. It is all through here, and I want to go quickly now, because what's going to happen is we're going to, we're going to develop each of these things over the next couple of weeks. So now we're going to sort of put it in the high gear and go pretty quick, okay? So if you're looking at the clock and you're like, lol, hey, we're getting there, I know, I know. Chapter 1, verse 22. I want you to see that Christ uses His church. He puts all things under His feet. Who does? Jesus does. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fits all in all. Now there's some kind of weird phrases in there. What we need to understand though is that the church is the dominating factor. That's what that word fullness often can be translated as, to be dominated by. That Christ is the dominating factor in the church. In His gathered people, special gathering of His people for His purpose, Christ dominates there. We want Jesus to dominate here. That's why we point to Him. Go a couple verses over. Go over to chapter 4, verse 11. I want you to see that Jesus Christ gifts the church. He gifts the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Look back at verse number 8. He gave gifts to men. Verse number 11. Jesus Christ has given to the church pastors and teachers. Why? Verse number 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Here's what Christ did. He said, I got this church. I'm going to build it. I planned it. I bought it. I identify with it. I use it. I need to give it something. I need to give it something. And so what He gives it, it's not what I would have given. If you'd asked me, Lord, what do you think Christ ought to give the church? Listen, I've known a lot of pastors I probably wouldn't have given pastors, okay? I probably could have come up with a better idea. But that's God's idea. Say, why is that His idea? Because God likes to use the weak things of the world, huh? The things that are not. He likes to use the things that are weak and don't have understanding to bless the world with His glory. And so God, in His plan, has given to the church men of God who have been called of God to invest their life in the people of God for the glory of God. See, it's a big deal. Now, you know, I know I'm a pastor. I know that. But we need to recognize it is a big deal when a man of God who's been called by the Lord to serve the church as a pastor of God, it is a big deal when He drifts into your life, and it may feel like it's almost like random when He gets there, 
and speaks into our life, we need to understand this, can't, this very well may be the gift of God. It's a big deal to me. You know what? I have pastors that I meet with. You know that? I saw in my life, I need this. I need pastored in my life. And so once a month, you'll see me. I won't tell you who. You'll know when you see me. You'll see me there with a pastor. And I'm telling you, every word he says really, really matters to me. If he says to me, Lowell, you know what? I don't think that's a good idea. Lowell, I do think that's a good idea. It's heavy in my heart. Because I trust that God is working. And I figure, if he's wrong, God would be pleased by my faith anyway. So I'm there listening and receiving God's gift. God's gift. I told you I'd go quick. I, need, I got off the stage on that one. Um, okay, go to 529. 529. Now we're into the passage on men and women. Okay, Some of us have studied this recently. And, you know, this, this is a difficult passage to work through in our culture today. And I don't want to take the time to, to develop all of it here, but I want you to see something very significant. Verse number 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh. But what does he do? Well, he nourishes. That means to feed or to provide. And he cherishes. That means to protect so he nourishes and cherishes it. That's what we do with our own bodies. And from this passage, in the wider context, Paul is saying, so husbands, that's what you do in the lives of your wife. And But look where he goes. Just as Christ does the church. You see what we see here? Jesus Christ is committed to his church. He's committed And he is going to nourish, he is going to pour into us what we need. He is dedicated to us, so he's going to give us what we need, and he's going to protect us in just the right way. I want you to picture an eagle sitting in a nest with its little eaglets, or whatever they're called, okay? And what what does that eagle do? It nourishes and it cherishes. It feeds, nourish, and it works hard to protect this, vet, this nest and to make this nest and, and to have a place where it's safe. Jesus has promised here that he will do that in your life and he will do that in the church. He is committed to this church. He is committed to the church. Sometimes I wonder, Lord, man, what hope do we have? Think of the Sinner Bible Church. What hope do we have? And then I realize, what am I saying? I'm just along for the ride. You're just along for the ride. This isn't our church. Now, we are part of it. But Christ is committed to it. And then, the last thing I want to say, chapter 3 of Ephesians, so go back a page. I want you to see something here that, that I don't know if I'll be able to express how much this is meant to me, know it means a lot to me, and I'll do my best. Chapter 3, verse number 10. Paul here has been making a significant argument about who we are and who the church is. And in verse number 10, there is something here that happens 
that we must allow to hit us heavily. It says this, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known... Stop. So the manifold wisdom of God might be made known... Now, if I were going to ask you to fill in the blank what comes next, many of you would think that the manifold wisdom of God is going to be made known to unbelievers around. Maybe that's who it is. People don't need Jesus. They, don't, they, don't, they need Jesus. We know Him. And they need to see the glory of God. That's not what it says. That the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to the believers. That's what it is. To see how awesome God is in the church. We will praise God and worship God. Maybe that's it. That the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to the very, very important people in all the world, the actors and the athletes and all that, and they'll turn to Jesus and God will be glorified. Nope. Now you have my permission to read it. It's up on the screen. I know, you already cheated. That the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who's that? Folks, that's angels. That's spiritual beings. That is other world individuals. Folks, this means more than what we think. The church means more than what we think. I picture in my, like, you know, imagination, it working this way. God is up in heaven, okay? And he looks down at you. And you're living for Christ. And you're telling people about Jesus. And you're living out his call. And he looks down at Centerpoint Bible Church, that little church there in the north end of the county that borrows that building every week. You know, he looks down at them and Jesus now says, Hey, Gabriel, come here. Come here. Michael, come here. Hey, all you angels, angels, come here, come here. You want to see something awesome? Look down there at my church. And all the angels are moved to glory and praise. And they long to look into these things, Peter says. They're like scratching their head like, I don't get this. And Jesus says, I know you don't get it. That's how good that I am. Folks, this means more than what we might think. The church is awesome and wonderful and special and treasured and important. Not because it's effective. Not because you like it. Not because your friends go here. Not because it's in your neighborhood. Not because you're going to get a lot from it. Not because you like the speaker. Not because you like the music. Not because the chairs are comfortable. None of that. It is special and treasured important and wonderful. Because the glory of God is at stake. And to his children, there's nothing more important. There's nothing more important. It means more than what we think. Will you worship with me? In a moment, we're going to stand up. And we're going to sing songs. And we will be the church. Now, there's churches all over the county. I know that. But we will be the church. 
and we will stand and we will sing with one voice. And it will be a great sound in the ear of God as His people worship Him. And the spiritual beings and the rulers and authorities right there in heaven are watching and observing. And they'll sing along with us. And we will sing that He is worthy. Ask our musicians to come up here and let me lead us, let me start us with prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we are Your church. You have redeemed us. You have purchased us with Your blood. This was Your plan before the foundation of the world. And You are building and have built and will build Your church. Lord, there's nothing we could ever do to get in it. There's nothing we can ever do to get out of it. We are Your body, Your bride, Your beloved. You call us Your building. You call us Your field. You call this a wall You're building with living stones. Lord, You are our shepherd. You are our pastor. You are our leader. You are our lover. You are our our all in all. You are the fullness of everything that there is. We, as your small creatures, can offer you nothing but what you desire. And that is our worship. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.